Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. Acts chapter number 18, and we're going to uh, just start by reading the first five verses, and then uh, we'll, we'll cover all the way to the uh, 17th verse in the course of the message. But Acts chapter number 18, starting in verse 1, the Bible says this, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Let's go to our God one more time, just in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word and how it speaks to us. We know it is a living book. It's active, and you you desire, Lord, to uh, pierce even to the dividing asunder of our soul and our spirit, as you have said in your word. And so, God, we ask that you would speak to us now. Whatever you speak to us about, give us the grace and the strength that we need to apply it and to live it out. And we pray that you'd be with this time, that you would be honored and glorified through what's said. And God, I pray that what uh, is said is just flowing through my mouth, but Lord, that it's flowing from your heart to us today. And we pray that you would, uh, again, keep us safe as we've gathered this morning. We thank you for this time we have now to look into your word. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start off by asking you this. What are you scared of? What are you scared of? Do you have any uh, fears, irrational fears maybe even? Uh, To me, I have some that to me are totally rational, okay? Uh, But other people uh, might not see as so rational, and I'll I'll talk about those in just a minute. But uh, it said, I was looking at a bunch of different fears, a bunch of different phobias, and uh, Jerry Seinfeld is, is famous for saying, as he uh, looked into, that uh, the number one fear of, of people is public speaking. The number two fear is death. If you, I mean, <laughs> public speaking, number one, death, number two. And so what Jerry Seinfeld said is that in the course of a funeral, most people would rather be the person in the casket than the person <laughs> giving the eulogy. Uh, which is just crazy to me. But I was looking through uh, a list of phobias, and uh, I just wanted to share some of the funny ones I found this week uh, as I was looking at it. The first one was this, aerophobia, the fear of swallowing air. Palophobia, the fear of bald people. Hopefully no one uh, in here has that because we've got a few bald members of our church, but that's okay. Uh, Levophobia, okay, levophobia is... Fear of things to the left side of your body. Dextrophobia is fear of things to the right side of your body. So imagine having both of those. <laughs> uh, and then, like, you always, where, what do you do? I mean, how do you live that way? I don't know. Uh, another one, xanthophobia, the fear of the color yellow. How do you live in this world with the fear of, 
a specific color. I don't know. Uh, phagophobia, the fear of eating or swallowing. How, again, how do you live with someone? And, and these have to have been someone's fear because they had to come up with a name to diagnose it. Uh, so it's just crazy. Anglophobia, the fear of Englishness. Optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. Uh, Calogenophobia, the fear of beautiful women. Pentherophobia, I'm pretty sure I have this one. The fear of your mother-in-law. Uh, here's a good one, all right? Listen, listen to this. I, I'm probably butchering this, but... Hexacosio hexaconta hexaphobia. The fear of the number 666. All right? Uh, gerontophobia, the fear of old people. Papaphobia, the fear of the Pope. Uh, uh, cacophobia, the fear of ugliness. And then this last one is just cruel. But hippopotamonstrosoquipedaliophobia is the fear of long words. You can't even tell people what you have. How messed up is that? Uh, I, I, as I was looking through, it's just funny. I have a few uh, totally rational fears, to me, of, uh, of clowns, of needles, and of taxidermy. Yes, of taxidermy, okay? Some of you, right as I said that, you're like, what? Uh, it's totally rational, okay? It's to and some of you have been in your house, and I'm very uneasy in your house uh, because you have some taxidermized animals there. Uh, but normally... No matter what our fears are, normally whatever fears that we have, there's a story behind why we have that fear, right? We don't know. I didn't just wake up one morning and say, I think I'm scared of taxidermy. Uh, something happened in my life. I'm not going to take the time to share the story now, but something happened in my life that made me have that fear, right? Life circumstances often play into what we are fearful of. And a lot of times, life circumstances play into the fact that we're fearful of doing something, going somewhere, or taking the next step, even in our Christian lives sometimes. And that's where I see Paul in our passage today. The Apostle Paul, it seems, might have been a little bit afraid of what was going to happen to him in the city of Corinth. I see that uh, in verse 9 even when we see that God had to tell Paul, do not be afraid. Uh, and it, it, as I was looking through it, it's kind of hard to think about the Apostle Paul uh, in that way. Because to me, the Apostle Paul is like, many of us look at him, he's like super Christian, right? Uh, the Apostle Paul is like any example other than Jesus in the Bible that you, uh, we many times want to aspire to or be like or, uh, or speak about would be the Apostle Paul. And no doubt he is, in my opinion, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Christians to ever live on this earth, but Paul was a man, just like you and me are. And when he came to Corinth, he was weak, he was afraid, and he was discouraged. And we know that because if you were to look at 1 Corinthians, the letter that Paul wrote to the very church that got started in this city, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. What he says is this, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in trembling. He says, look, I didn't come and, and just confidently declare unto you Jesus Christ. No, I came to you weak. I came to you discouraged. I came to you anxious and fearful. And think about 
what made Paul that way when he came to Corinth? Well, just think about what we've, what's transpired in his life up to this point, just in the past few weeks and the past few messages of our series. In Philippi, Paul was mocked for preaching the gospel. He was stripped of his clothing along with Silas. He was publicly beaten. He was thrown in prison uh, wrongly. He was put in stocks. Uh, he, he was wrongly accused, and then the leaders of that city tried to sweep it all under the rug when it was all said and done. In Thessalonica, some of the Jews that were there uh, didn't like what Paul had said about Jesus Christ, and so they stirred up a, mall, uh, a mob, and they assaulted uh, the house of Jason, one of the believers that, uh, one of the people who had come to Christ there in Thessalonica, they assaulted the believers in the house of Jason, which caused Jason to have to agree to make sure that Paul left town of Thessalonica. In Berea, uh, he, he was preaching the gospel, and the Jews that threw him out of Thessalonica, when they heard that he was preaching the gospel in Berea, they went there and they stirred up another mob. Uh, to kick him out of Berea. And then he gets to Athens and he's given the opportunity to speak, but because the city was so engulfed in their philosophies, ultimately very little fruit came of it. And so he leaves Athens and then comes to Corinth. And I can imagine after so many of those things take place and you, you've been beaten, you're physically depleted, you're, you're spiritually depleted and and it seems that the place that you just came from, there was no fruit at all. I, I can imagine that Satan was, uh, was attacking Paul and his mind so hard to, to show him, man, look at you, you're so lonely. No one's here with you anymore. Remember he left Luke up in Philippi. He left uh, uh, Silas and Timothy in Berea at this time. So he was all alone, none of his team with him. And, uh, and not seeing much fruit, no doubt he was attacked by Satan. But when he comes to Corinth, when he comes to Corinth, uh, you got to know Corinth was a wicked city. <laughs> Corinth was a pagan city uh, filled with uh, pagan worship and, and prostitution and immorality. And uh, so much so that much of the sensuality that took place in the uh, city of Corinth was actually a, a practice as quote-unquote worship there in the city and uh, in the evenings in Corinth there were about a thousand uh, temple prostitutes it said who would go through the city to find quote-unquote worshipers to do their uh, just terrible acts in the name of worship and uh, it was said that if someone in the ancient world called another per person a Corinthian that what they were really uh, saying was a derogatory remark of saying, you are a vile person. So Paul, he, he would have come kind of from culture shock in Athens to morality shock in Corinth. And no doubt in his mind, he would have thought, after seeing what had already taken place in the other towns leading up to this, he would have thought, man, if I preach the gospel here, I'm getting mocked. I'm going to get ridiculed. Look at these people. I'm going to get hurt physically. These people are going to come after me if I preach the gospel. And the reason I believe that he was most likely thinking that is because of what we see God say to him in our passage, and we'll get to that in a moment. But the indication of our passage and of Second uh, Corinthians or First Corinthians, and even in Philippians and and First uh, Thessalonians, the indication seems to be that when Paul came to Corinth, he was. He was spiritually, mentally, physically, 
psychologically just depleted completely. He needed to uh, recharge his batteries, so to say. He was just completely weak. He, he needed some encouragement. He needed God's sustaining grace to just pour over him in this time of weakness and fear. And in our passage today, we, we see that he found the encouragement that he needed here in Corinth in two specific sources. And, and I believe that these two specific sources of encouragement are also where we too can find encouragement when we need it. Because let's be honest, when we go through life, it can be difficult, especially living the Christian life, it can be difficult sometimes to maintain a joyful spirit or to maintain our faith to the level that it needs to be. Sometimes because of the, the physical or the emotional or mental or spiritual even demands of our jobs or our responsibilities as spouses or, uh, or as parents or as children to our family or our, our responsibilities to God and really everything. Because of all of the demands of so much of that, many times we can find ourselves weak and discouraged and, and sometimes anxious and fearful. And sometimes we just need to get our batteries recharged. <laughs> so we need that encouragement. So I want to see where did Paul find his encouragement in his moment of weakness and hopefully glean some thoughts for us this morning. First of all, I see from verses 1 through 8 that Paul found encouragement from others. Paul found encouragement from other people. Verse 1 and 2 tells us that he met a, a couple named Aquila and Priscilla. Now, Paul's ministry when he came to Corinth was much different. And we see that in some of these verses where uh, his, his uh, ministry now was uh, uh, having to be done alone. He didn't have his team with him. And so he was alone because Luke stayed in Philippi, Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. And, and although Paul called for Timothy and Silas to come to him, they, they didn't actually get to him when he was in Athens. It tell us, tells us that they got to him when he was in Corinth. And uh, not only was Paul alone, uh, he had to get a job in Corinth. Many of the other places, he showed up, he, he blew up with the gospel, many people came to know Christ, and he was pretty much full-time, day by day, by the river, in the synagogue, wherever he could be, in the marketplace, uh, telling the gospel. But here in Corinth, uh, it, it seems that uh, he had to get a job. Maybe funds were uh, uh, not too great at the moment here in Corinth, but uh, he, it does say he was reasoning with the people in the synagogues, but it tells us that he was doing so on the Sabbaths. Uh, and so what, what most likely in the indication seems to be is that uh, he would go and proclaim Christ in the synagogues on the Sabbath, but in between, in the week, he would be making tents along with Aquila and Priscilla. But while Paul's here, uh, he meets the, this couple who were fellow tent makers, and he works for them. And this couple, they're an interesting couple. Uh, the, the, really, the original message, what I was going to preach, and w what I'm going to preach next week as we finish out the chapter, was going to just be looking at this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, an interesting couple that uh, these people were a help. They were a, a help to Paul. 
uh, not only by giving him employment, they were the ones that uh, helped him to, uh, or gave him a job, but most likely they also encouraged him and were helped to him because they heard the gospel and came to know Christ and they grew in their walk with him. So much so, the next week when we look at the rest of the chapter, they were uh, away from Paul and were able to disciple someone in a more excellent way through the scriptures because of the fact that they had grown under Paul's leadership. And so this, uh, this couple was a help to Paul in this time in Corinth. And then we see in verse 5, it tells us that he, he was helped, he was encouraged by Silas and by Timothy. Uh, T- Timothy and Silas come, verse 5, it says, When they were come from Macedonia, uh, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. It tells us that when they came, Paul was pressed in the spirit. The Greek word there, uh, pressed here, gives the idea of being held together. He, he was held together in his spirit. The implication is that Paul might have been about to unravel from what was all taking place. The discouragement, the loneliness, the pain, it, it was uh, just about all that Paul could bear. He was weak, but when Silas and Timothy came, It held Paul together and we see it gave him a boost of energy to get right back to work in the gospel ministry. And if you look at 1 Thessalonians 3, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and Philippians 4, we, we do know that when Silas and Timothy came, they brought to him good news of the people of Thessalonica and uh, they also brought a special offering from the church of Philippi. In 1 Thessalonians, uh, uh, Paul writes it this way. He says, But now when Timothy came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you, therefore we were comforted over you in all our afflictions and distress by your faith. The good news that Silas and Timothy brought is saying, hey, the people in Thessalonica are doing great. They're growing. They wish they could see you. I know you wish that you could see them. And the good news that they brought to Paul gave him a boost of energy to say, man, what I'm doing can make a difference. I need to get back out there. And it says immediately he went and he testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. He gets this new surge of fervor and passion and energy from the arrival of his friends, Timothy and Silas. And as a result, he proclaims the gospel to the Jews boldly. But apparently, just like many of the Jews have previously, these Jews, they oppose it. It says in verse six, when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, your blood be upon your own hands. I'm clean for henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. Uh, Apparently, they were not having any of it. They opposed themselves. The, the idea there of the word opposing themselves was that there was this war raging on within themselves and because of it, it drew them to blaspheme Paul, to revile him, to rail at him uh, disrespectfully. And Paul, it says, wasn't having it. Uh, he shook his raiment at them, which was uh, something that the prophets would do, uh, shake the raiment at someone and it expressed an extreme contempt for someone and was a sign of refusing to have any further dealings with that person. Paul, what he was saying was, I'm done with you. 
I've given you the gospel, you've, you've, uh, you've rejected it, and your blood is on your hands now for rejecting it. My hands are clean of it. The idea is like what a Pilate did, what Pontius Pilate did when he uh, washed his hands and said, my hands are clean of this man's blood. That's the same idea that Paul was saying, I'm clean of this. I've given you, I've done all that I can. Now it's up to you to whether you're going to accept the gospel. My hands are clean of it. My, uh, my uh, time now will be devoted to the Gentiles. And this is a pivotal moment uh, in the, the ministry and the life of Paul in that now uh, he is full and gung-ho for, uh, fully to the, the Gentiles and giving them the gospel. And what's interesting is that he says he departed from there in verse 7 and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. Uh, we get to meet this man named Justice. Paul goes to the house of this man who got saved. And what's funny is his house is literally next door to the synagogue. Uh, he says, I'm done with you Jews, and then goes right next door to Justice's house and proclaims the gospel. And as a result of the preaching of the gospel in Justice's house, we see a man named Crispus get saved. It says, uh, and Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. The ruler of the synagogue gets saved. It's interesting to me that Crispus didn't get saved while Paul declared the gospel in the synagogue. Uh, he gets saved when Paul leaves and declares the gospel next door to the synagogue. Just kind of interesting to me that that took place. But it also tells us that many Corinthians came to know Jesus Christ because of the gospel being preached here. And yet another result of the fact that Paul was encouraged and strengthened by other people. Many people in Corinth got saved as a result of the gospel being preached. Man, I, I love it. I just love it that, hey, Paul, Paul, he gets encouragement from other people. And as a result, a move of God begins to take place in the city of Corinth. But you know what this part of the story reminds me? This is what this part of the story reminds me. It reminds me that we are not meant to live this life alone. We're not meant to live this life alone. The Christian life is not some isolated life that just separates from anyone and everyone and tries to live a holy lives uh, tries to live holy lives on our own. God has blessed us with a community of believers especially within our local church. I think of all of the verses that mention the body of believers uh, that we are a part of and, and that they're there uh, to be, uh, for, for us to be encouraged by them and for us to be an encouragement to those very people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, when talking about how we're all members of one body, he says this, can the hand say to the eye, I don't have any need of you? Uh, he, he gets to... Uh, together and says no we're all members of one body we all need each other we're all important to the body of Christ and later in that same letter in chapter number 14 Paul says when you come together talking to the church here in Corinth says when you come together each song that is sung each lesson that's given each truth that's proclaimed each tongue that's spoken or interpretation of those tongues that's given all of the spiritual gifts that are given when gathered should be done to the use of edifying, to the building up and the encouragement of 
each other. Hebrews chapter 10, 25 tells us that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together like some do, but instead exhorting one another more and more and more as we see of the day of the Lord approaching. That is what we gather to do, to exhort, to admonish, to encourage, to build up one another by using our spiritual gifts and by uh, just being a refreshment to each other. And I could go on and on and on with verses. I think of Ephesians and Colossians where it talks about the fact that our corporate singing would teach and admonish one another and that it would encourage the other people that are here gathered with us. The truth is this, my friends, we, we need each other. We need each other. You see, God's sustaining grace here in this time in Paul's life wasn't just some supernatural or mystical thing. Many times when we think of the grace of God, we think of this supernatural power that comes upon us and gives us the strength to go on. But in this time in Paul's life, God's sustaining grace wasn't just supernatural or mystical. It had faces and names. Silas and Timothy, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, people who by God's grace helped to sustain Paul further in the ministry. And sometimes in our lives, many times, God's grace will come in the form of encouragement from other people. And when we gather, we are here to be encouraged, but also to be an encouragement. Man, when we gathered each and every week, I am refreshed by you. Just you being here is a refreshment and an encouragement to me. And I hope and pray that you would say the same. Pastor Micah, it's an encouragement that you're here. I would, I would hope and pray that that would be the case on both ends because that is what is supposed to take place when we come together. Friends, don't try to live the Christian life alone. Find community. Be encouraged by the people that God has placed in your life here in our church. Paul, he needed that encouragement. And so do we. But Paul didn't only find encouragement from other people. I see also Paul got encouragement directly from God. Directly from God. And I see this really from verse 9 to 17. Verses 9 through 11 show us that uh, he found encouragement through God's word. And then from uh, verse 12 to 17, we see that he found encouragement from God's working. And so I want us to see that as we go through. Verse 9, it says this, then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Paul had God himself come to him. And first of all, he said, don't fear. I know what's going on in your heart now, Paul, I know what you think is about to take place, but do not fear. Why? Because I'm with you. And no one is going to hurt you. He says, keep serving. Proclaim the gospel. Don't hold your peace. Don't hold back. I know you're fearful, but don't hold back. Just let her rip. (laughs) Like, tell the gospel. Proclaim it. Because I am with you. And no one will hurt you. The Lord gave Paul some promises. He said, I'll be with you and you won't be harmed. Now that second promise was very specific to Paul in his ministry right here in Corinth. Uh, And that, I say that because we need to be careful when we read God's word not to uh, take every promise given to every person 
in Scripture and apply it to ourselves. Uh, but, but when we look through all, all of Scripture, we do know that God has given us some promises. And one of them is the same promise that he gave to Paul here in this, I am with you. Jesus says that all throughout his uh, ministry, he says, uh, I mean, we look at the Great Commission and how he says, uh, go and proclaim the gospel and, and make disciples and go through that whole process of, of fulfilling the Great Commission. And he ends it by saying this, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. We have the promise from God that he will never leave us or forsake us. He is faithful to be with us. And I love how he finishes his statement to Paul. God says, look, don't fear. Keep serving because I'm with you. You will not be harmed and I know the future. I love how he says, I have much people in this city. At the end of verse 10, I have much people in this city. What he's saying is this, there are more people that are gonna come to know Christ right here in Corinth, of all places, the place that's wicked, perverse, sensual, all of this morality skewed in the minds of every single person. This place, Paul, is a place where many, many people are going to get saved. I am going to move in a great way in this city, so just proclaim the gospel. I know the future, so continue to move forward with the gospel. And so Paul was encouraged by God through his very words. You know, one of the greatest ways that we as Christians can stay encouraged and be encouraged in times of doubt, in times of weakness or fear, is to just get into the word of God. We need God's word. God doesn't speak audibly to us anymore like he did here with the Apostle Paul, but he does speak to us through his spirit and specifically through the written pages of scripture. And God wants to speak to us words of encouragement. The thing is, many of us don't hear those words of encouragement because we aren't in the Bible consistently. We need to be in the word of God. God wants to encourage and give us what we need, his sustaining grace to continue to live this Christian life uh, through him. But many of us don't fully tap into the life source that we have through his word. But I love how God didn't just encourage him through his words. Uh, he also encouraged Paul through the way that he worked. Look at verse 12 through 17 with me. It says, And when Gallio was the depu deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Gallio said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. Uh, but if it be a question of words and names and of your law, Look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drave them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Gallio cared for none of those things. The reason I say this is God encouraging Paul through the way that he works is this is right after he says, no one's going to harm you. We see a... Uh, 
an insurrection take place, that harm could have come to the Apostle Paul. And yet, it came to not. And Paul was all right. He didn't get harmed in the city. Just like, just like God promised him, nothing would take place to harm him. We see here, people go out against him, just like in the other places before. The Jews say, this person is doing uh, things contrary to the law. Not the Roman law, that this was a Roman colony, not against the Roman law, but against their written law is what they're saying. And Gallio, this deputy, says, look, if this is just a matter of you guys doing your own thing that you normally do, and this isn't something that I really need to be concerned about, get out of here. And then the Jews didn't like that answer, so they beat a man named Sosthenes, not Paul. Okay, They didn't say, well, well then go after Paul and beat Paul. They take it out on a different man. Uh, it's interesting to me, Sosthenes, it says the chief ruler of the synagogue, apparently uh, Crispus, the one who got saved that we saw in verse 8, uh, apparently when he got saved, it meant the loss of his job because we have a new ruler of the synagogue just a few verses later, but Sosthenes gets beaten by the Jews because of what was taking place. And Gallio, it says, didn't care for any of these things. But I love how uh, through just this portion of the story, we see God fulfilling his promise that he gave to the Apostle Paul. And no doubt when Paul looked back on things that he wrote, I, I think of just studying and looking at Philippians and 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians, uh, that he wrote to the, especially the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians. He would have been writing that letter here in Corinth and sending it out. Uh, in that letter, he so many times says, stay encouraged. God keeps his promises. Stay encouraged. Build each other up because God keeps his promises. He says it so many different ways in that uh, letter to them. And I, I, I just think of Paul writing these things down so that he doesn't forget them. And really a good practice uh, in the life of a believer would be, just a practical thought, would be to write down when God answers prayers and when he works in a situation in a way that you didn't think was possible. Uh, when, when he takes a hopeless situation and makes it good again, when, when he works in our lives or answers prayers, a great practice would be to write them down, to remember, what, well, the children of Israel, they did this even. Uh, if you look at some parts of their history, they would put up, put up an altar that they would be able to walk by and remember that's when God did this. And it is just a reminder to them because in times of discouragement, in times of doubt, in times where we don't see God working in the moment, sometimes it's good to remind ourselves that he has worked in our lives before and use those, uh, the, use those times that we see and we remember to hold on to the promise that he will continue to work in and through our lives. Because the truth is God wants to bring us encouragement encouragement not, by not only his word but also in the, wor the way that he works mightily in our lives to fulfill his promises each and every day so where are we at today where are we at today uh, are you in a time of weakness or discouragement or uh, are you feeling depleted do, do you need your batteries your spiritual batteries recharged this morning, if that's you today, can I challenge you in this way? Get into the word of God. Focus and meditate on the promises and the previous workings of God and get around the people of God. Too often when 
we get discouraged, when we get fearful, when we uh, get weak in our lives, when we get physically or, or mentally or spiritually drained too often in our lives, we stop going to church. We stop reading the Bible. We, we, uh, we stop plugging ourselves into the life source that God has so generously given to us. We unplug ourselves from that, uh, from that life source. So uh, can I encourage us, don't do that. When we're discouraged, the best thing that we can do is be in the word of God, meditate on his promises, and get around his people that he's put into our lives. And maybe you're here and you'd say, actually, Pastor Micah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good right now. I don't feel spiritually depleted. I'm not in an area of discouragement. Well, then I challenge you in this way. Stay in the word. Stay focused on the promises of God and stay faithful to be around the people of God so that when those hard times do come, because let's be honest, they will, we can stay encouraged through them. And I would challenge us all with this final thought as well. Not just are we staying encouraged, but are we being an encouragement? We already mentioned a few moments ago in Scripture that our function in the local church is to encourage and build each other up. So how are we doing on that? Uh, truly, we all, we all need encouragement at times. And, and from Scripture, we see that really all we need is encouragement from God. I think, of, I think of David when he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. But isn't it amazing that God doesn't only give us himself, but that he gives us a bonus of encouragement through the people and our community of faith within our local church? Why would we not tap into that life source? And why would we not contribute to that life source? Paul, he, he got discouraged. He was fearful and, and suffered from anxiousness, it seems, in this time. And he needed encouragement. And if the Apostle Paul needed encouragement, super Christian Paul, if he needed it, how much more do we need it? The truth is, God can encourage us and wants to encourage us through himself and through other people. So plug into that life source recharge those batteries through the, through the uh, energy source of God, through his word, through his working, and through his people each and every day. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, Hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media. And tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.